You're listening to sermons from Redeemer Church in Round Rock, Texas. Redeemer is a gospel-centered, missional family learning and living the way of Jesus in the suburbs of Austin. Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see you. Glad you're here this morning. If you're a guest with us, uh, my name is Jordan. I'm one of our pastors here at Redeemer and have the privilege of leading us in vision and preaching. And um, as you see from the video, we are in the middle of a sermon series this fall that has been about equipping. The hope for this series is that it would equip us to be God's people in every circumstance, in every season of life. If you were here week one, we talked about how oftentimes um, it can feel like we're ill-equipped as a church for suffering and sorrow, that we're ill-equipped, that these things can manifest in our life and we often don't know what to do. And so we said that this fall we want to spend time being equipped and how to be followers of Jesus who who know how to locate Christ even in the storms of life. Um, Whether we find ourselves in the dark clouds of depression, which we've talked about in this series, or in the crashing waves of anxiety, or the deep waters of grief, or feel like we're sinking in shame because of our past. We looked at that last week. We know that there's real hope and there's real mercy that is available to us in Jesus. And today we're going to turn our attention to the topic of addiction, the topic of addiction. Um, To help us better understand uh, addiction, I've invited uh, uh, a friend of mine that I trust and that I deeply respect, Brad Peterson. Brad, why don't you make make your way up? You guys give Brad a hand. Welcome him to Redeemer. Brad said this, he said this earlier in our pre-service meeting, he said this is going to be more like a deconstructed sermon. Maybe you've had a deconstructed salad. Uh, that's kind of what you'll get today. This will be a little bit different than our normal sermon, but we're going to, we're going to talk today about the topic of addiction. I'm so, so thankful that, you, that you're here, Brad, that you're joining us. I think your family's here with us too, right? So welcome to your family if they made it. They'll probably be heckling me, so... <laughs> Uh, So glad that you're here. Brad serves as the director of the uh, recovery ministry at the Austin Stone Community Church, which is a church that we respect and are so grateful for their ministry in our metro. Brad's a uh, pastor. He's a counselor. Um, He actually even had a season where he worked as a revolved with a church plant here in the Austin metro. So he gets our world a little bit as a church planning church. He knows what church planning is like. And man, we are just super thankful and thrilled to have you here with us today. So let me pray for us, and then we'll, we'll get into it. Yeah, pray. God, we do, we, we yield to you in this time, and we pray that you would be our teacher, Holy Spirit, that you would speak, that you would guide us as we talk about addiction, as we talk about the, the deep ruts that many of us can get caught in of sinful behavior, of patterns, of habits. And Lord, we ask that you would, uh, we would experience your freedom We pray for that, for every person, that we would know the freedom that that comes with Christ, knowing Christ, being known by Christ. And so lead us in this time. Lead us more into the freedom of Jesus Christ. And in your your name we pray, amen. Amen. All right. All right. So here's where I want to start. I read a a quote this week uh, by Gerald May in an article called The Nature of Addiction. And here's 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 what he says. He says, The ancient problem of addiction has recently surfaced as one of the most widely publicized and researched issues in the modern world. So two things that I think are interesting. One, that he calls addiction an ancient problem. So this is something that's existed, I guess, since the the fall of man. Addiction has been an issue, a challenge for human beings. And then two, that he he acknowledges that addiction is a far-reaching problem, that all types of people are trying to figure out what it is. People are researching it more than ever. So 
from your seat, here's, the, here's where we'll start. What is addiction? And maybe secondarily, how should we as Christians who believe the Bible, who know the hope of the gospel, how should we think about addiction? Yeah. Well, you're asking me to uh, define in three minutes what has been described there, I think, wonderfully, as an ancient problem. So thanks a lot. <laughs> uh, no, it's not on. Oh, switch it. There we go. We tricked him. We told him it would be on, and then it wasn't on. That so. better? <laughs> all right. I just said some really good wisdom. You guys just missed all of it. So, uh, No, you're absolutely right. I love that, that description. It is an ancient problem, and it's fascinating that uh, it's been something that uh, people have been trying to resolve and define uh, for a long time, uh, first philosophically, uh, but even more recently, uh, in our day and age, it's, it's trying to be defined and um, uh, solved through more of the clinical world. Uh, and so I thought, um, one, I, that's not my area of expertise. I'm a theologian by training. However, I do get to work with a, a group of clinicians at the Austin Stone Counseling Center. Mm-hmm. And so I want to honor all the, like, the mountains of work that have been um, done on this, this topic uh, but I also want to be helpful uh, for our conversation today. So uh, please know with what I'm saying, um, there's a lot more that could be said. Um, but perhaps what would be helpful is to consider uh, really the two ways in which dis- uh, addiction is defined right now. Currently, if you, you engage in this topic, uh, there's two basic ways that people are looking at it. Number one, they're going to look at it from uh, a disease model. Okay? And so a disease model is just simply uh, where we're going to say this is, addiction is something that you have. Uh, it's physiological, it's biological. And the reason we say that is because there have been a lot of studies that show that the biological effects, the biological impact of addiction, particularly on the brain. Uh, and so to say that addiction is a disease, we're just looking at, hey, it's, it's something that is happening in your body and it's doing something to your body. Uh, the other model that is out there that is often, I find it actually more common in uh, circles like this within the church, would be the choice model. Hmm. Uh, and so that's going to be pretty self-explanatory. Essentially, addiction is not something you have, rather it's something that you do. And so it's, hey, you're confronted with a series of choices, and you have just happened to make the wrong ones, and therefore find yourself addicted. Hmm. Uh, and so those are kind of the two uh, popular models that are out there uh, anytime people are engaging in this. I actually don't necessarily find it helpful to say I'm in this camp or I'm in that camp mm-hmm. uh, because when we look at the scriptures, I think what we find is that there's actually truth in both of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we look at the scriptures, you find that there is this idea that's described both in the Old and the New Testament, uh, kind of this felt experience that we as human beings have something Uh, that feels like I've always had this, that something within me isn't quite right. Hmm. Uh, And so you see this, right, over and over in in the Scripture. So on the one hand, we can see that the felt experience of being human is to feel like something in me isn't right. I have something. And the Scriptures would define that as as sin. Hmm. Um, However, we also kind of see this other element in the Scriptures, particularly um, you see this in, in Paul, right, for uh, for believers, that once we've, we've come to Christ, that there's this element of, I, not only do I have something, but there's something going on at war within me, mm-hmm. right? We're yep. Romans 7, yep. where Paul's describing, hey, why is it that I do that which what I don't want to do? 
Uh, and then in Galatians 5, right, this, that's described particularly as there's a war going on between the flesh and the spirit. And so even Jesus, right, he's saying, hey, pick up your cross and follow me daily. Deny yourself. So there, there is this element you see again of uh, not only something we have, but something that we get to choose to, to die to, to, to follow each and every day. So I think maybe that might be more of a helpful way from the scripture's perspective that addictions, uh, again, something we all have, and yet in Christ we have this opportunity to follow or to choose something else. That's really good. I, I appreciate that, of even just saying, hey, maybe out there there's two camps. There's disease, there's choice. And even as Christians who know the Bible and, and, and have a, even a, a robust understanding of the story of God in the world, who know the gospel, to be able to go, yeah, we, we are, there is something wrong with our bodies. We are broken, are broken people. Sin has, has affected us in every way. And there is a, a battle that wages war within us, our desires between uh, choosing to walk in obedience to Christ and, and, and to choose not to. And so that's a, really, that's a really great way to be able to kind of hold both of those and say that the, 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 there's, there's, need, there's a need for Jesus and for his gospel e- either way that you, might, that you might look at addiction. So I think it's safe to say that there is complexity to addiction. As we've been in this series, we've tried to acknowledge that with each of these topics, with depression, with anxiety, with grief. There's a real complexity to these things. So it certainly sounds like that you're saying that's true of addiction. How can we maybe give us some handles or some categories to help us think about the complexity of addiction? Are there stages to it? Are there, are there layers uh, to addiction? What, what would you say? Yeah, absolutely. There's complexity to it. Um, that's why I think you see so many people devoted and so much money mm-hmm. <laughs> involved in trying to solve this problem, mm-hmm. and yet no one seems to have the right answer. Uh, So there is a lot of complexity uh, in this. Um, Maybe perhaps what's helpful like to think through um, the complexity of just even defining or like uh, identifying uh, where I am with addiction. Um, You know, kind of the old Jeff Foxworthy, you might be an addict if kind of thing. (laughs) Um, I I find it helpful to consider how Jesus kind of in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, what he does there to really essentially kind of answer that question of, hey, are you an adulterer? Mm. Are you a murderer? Right? And he's speaking to these religious uh, mm. experts who would define that as either yes or no. Mm. Right? Yes, I'm above the law because I didn't commit murder this week. Mm. Yes, I'm above the law because I didn't sleep with another man's wife this week. Mm. And what I love what Jesus does there is he kind of, he, he closes the gap right between um, the outer man and the inner man. That's good. He kind, of, he kind of shows that to be fully human, to flourish as a human being, is to actually live an integrated whole life where your heart is fully connected to your head and your head is, and heart are connected to the hands, to what you do. Uh, and so if you're trying to like just even answer that question of, am I an addict or what, what is an addict? Um, it's maybe helpful to think of it on a spectrum similar to that. Not so much do I have addiction uh, what, you know, what is it in, look like in my life? But r- maybe instead look at what trajectory is my heart, what my heart most loves, what is, where is that taking me, hmm. uh, right? And so, again, Jesus is going to answer that question of if you're a murderer, hey, maybe look more at do you have anger in your heart? Yeah. To what degree is that anger then ruling you? Hmm. Because the only trajectory, if you continue to allow that to rule your heart, is to take it to murder, hmm. Same thing with lust, right? So, 
Um, again, looking at uh, how clinicians would define, uh, kind of answer that question, you might be an addict if, uh, to help us with the complexity. Uh, if you were to go to a physician, a psychologist, they're going to look at this, this thing called the DSM, uh, a manual of, of different diagnoses. And in that manual, it's going to lay out 11 different kind of characteristics, different behaviors that would help you answer that question. Am I an addict? Um, or what kind of, where am I on the spectrum of addiction? Um, so I'm not going to go through all 11 of those, but I find it helpful maybe just to kind of summarize them with three, what I call the three C's. Um, and so the three C's that would kind of help you kind of consider that would be control, uh, compulsion, and consequences. Control, compulsion, and consequences. And so what we mean by that is just simply control. Like when you engage in this activity or when you use this substance, do you find that it's easy to just stop, right? Uh, can you stop engaging in that when you say you want to? Uh, and again, kind of considering where you're at on that spectrum. Compulsion, compulsion is going to be uh, more about, am I thinking about this? Am I kind of orienting and planning my life around engaging in this activity, mm. uh, right? So am I only like throughout the day thinking about, I can't wait till I get home so I can turn on the video games. Like that's all I'm looking forward to. Okay, a level of compulsion. Mm. And then the third thing is consequences. So consequences of as I'm using this, as I'm engaging in this activity, to what level uh, consequences is it having, negative consequences on my life and those around me. Um, so that's kind of the spectrum, like looking at those things or how you might answer, am I an addict? Um, and so to kind of consider each of those have, they are on a spectrum. Mm -hmm. So the greater degree, like the greater severity you have of each of those C's, mm. the more you're going to be further down the spectrum of addiction. Mm. So this, this is, um, I actually get this from uh, biblical counselor Brad Hambrick at a, a summit uh, Bible Church in North Carolina, but um, he kind of puts the levels of addiction on, like he uses the biblical, this biblical language, um, these three categories. So he uses the categories of foolishness, uh, number one, is kind of one category of where you might be on the, that spectrum. Uh, number two would be bondage, and then number three would be death. So... Um, Foolishness, um, this is going to be, again, just helpful to maybe consider where are, are you, right? Where might you be with a certain activity? I'm just going to pull up my notes here just so I make sure uh, I'm giving you guys some help, the right information. But, um, and we have it. Oh, great. We got it on the slides. Awesome. You guys are way ahead. <laughs> uh, so, so you, like, foolishness is going to be, again, just simple things like, hey, am I violating my conscience, or am I just violating laws, like to engage in this activity or in this using this substance, okay? Mm -hmm. um, and so, again, this is where scripture can be helpful because there are certain things, certain activities. Um, I'll, I'll use alcohol as an example. Uh, the scriptures never tell you don't drink alcohol. However, they are clear on, hey, don't, don't be drunk, right? But each and every one of you in this room probably has a different... Um, conviction around a relationship with alcohol. And so you just have to consider where am I violating that conviction? Or am I violating this law, right? And the more I violate that, the more this, I think the scriptures tell us, hey, that's foolishness, okay? 
Um, secondly, then, is kind of consider, okay, my maybe going beyond foolishness is then the second uh, area would be abuse uh, as the clinical term or bondage would be the biblical terminology. Hmm. This is where you go beyond foolishness. You're, you're violating the law. You're violating the con- your conscience. Uh, again, maybe you're adapting your lifestyle to actually engage in this activity or use this substance. Um, it's where your, your tolerance for this activity, your tolerance for the substance starts increasing, so you just need more of it to actually enjoy it. Um, when you're not engaging in it, it's where you start experiencing withdrawal symptoms. So you're feeling irritable, you're feeling uh, um, tired, you're feeling apathetic because you're not engaging in this. So that would be kind of an indicator, perhaps you are in bondage to this activity or to this substance. Um, and then lastly is going to be, again, scriptures tell us sin leads to death. And so the, the last area we find ourselves as we give ourselves over to a certain substance or activity would be death, where the clinical term would be dependence. Um, and so don't think of this as like, oh, I use this and then I, I just die, right? Think of it more in terms of how the scriptures would define death, which I think is more Again, holistic, yeah. relational death, yeah. right? Like, as I'm giving myself just the more TV I watch as a husband and as a dad of three, like, that's going to crush my relationship with my family, yeah. right? So that's relational death. Could be physical death, too, yeah. right? You start having physical symptoms, negative. You get sick from this. It starts affecting your, your organs, that sort of thing, uh, your brain, Anxiety starts happening, uh, spiritual death, uh, financial. So again, consider and where might I be on this this spectrum? That's good. I I think you know obedience to God, God's laws, His commandments, His way was given so that we might flourish under His good lordship. He's a good God. He's a good King, and so obedience always leads to life. It leads to flourishing. Our families flourishing. Our relationships flourishing. Our fine, you know those those it leads to flourishing. Whereas I like to think about sin often is it erodes. It's the opposite yeah. of flourishing. It erodes. It leads to death in that way. It, it erodes my finances. It's, it's eroding my marriage. It's eroding. And so that's a, that's a helpful way to maybe what, uh, you know, a, cl- cl- a clinical speech would talk about dependence, really using, understanding what they're trying to name, what the Bible names as, as death, as, as sin eroding my life, my relationships, my spirituality, on and on. Uh, really helpful. Um, all right, how about this? So in, in your experience, um, as you've walked with many people through addiction, toward recovery, toward redemption in Christ, um, have, have there been any themes that have emerged that you've seen in the sense of, like, how does somebody get there? Like, like what, what, you know, nobody sets out and says, you know what, in 10 years, I want to be an addiction. Um, how, where, what's the genesis? Is there a generally a root? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, a great question, and you mentioned Genesis because I do find that is a helpful place there you to go. go. Set you up. That's right. The ball and tea. The beginning, right? <laughs> it, it is kind of it sets the template for uh, who we are as humanity and and how creation works. Um, again, there's been a lot of research around kind of trying to define what is the the cause of addictions. Um, 
And I think we can look to Genesis um, and find really helpful data points, really dis- helpful descriptions of what might lead us into this place. Uh, and I love how Genesis starts out of it, man and woman are created, and it says we were naked and unashamed before sin came into the world. Mm-hmm. So it's this sense of who we are as humans, how before sin comes into the world, we're seen, we're known. Mm-hmm. And there is no shame. Yeah, free. You're fully free. You're seen. You're loved. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. But then what happens? Notice after the fall, Genesis 3, right? Right after the fall, the first thing that Adam and Eve do, right, is the scriptures are going to say they covered themselves with fig leaves. So there's this recognition of, oh, I see myself and it doesn't feel right. And so my attempt then is to cover what doesn't feel right. There's shame. But not only is there shame, the very next uh, after that is they hear God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they were afraid. Mm -hmm. And so they hide. So fear and shame, right? Mm -hmm. These two insidious uh, things that enter into creation, enter into the human experience, lead us to kind of define ourselves in ways that are not consistent with how God sees us. Mm -hmm. Um, because of, again, sin entering into, into our lives. Uh, and so I would say for sure, fear and shame really are at the root of addiction. Um, there's a, again, if you want to look this up, there's a great study that's come out about uh, eight or nine years ago called the Kaiser ACE Study. And what they've looked at, ACE just stands for Adverse Childhood Experiences. And essentially what they're finding and have discovered in that is that children or adolescents that have experienced any kind of um, stressful situations in their, their home, uh, or they've experienced some kind of difficult event, and then they didn't receive healthy connection, mm. a healthy sense, kind of a secure attachment mm. to loving people, uh, they're far more at risk to experience addiction. And what I find fascinating about that is because, again, it's hearkening back to what we see in Genesis. Of we see that something isn't right, something has disrupted the norm, and so now I feel like I'm not right. And so I have to make an attempt to cover up what is not right. I'm afraid, right? And and so we attach ourselves to something to gain a new sense of security. Mm -hmm. Um, It might be helpful, Jordan, if I read... um, a personal example. This is actually, I found this fascinating when I came across this uh, years ago. It's a story out of the big book uh, that they use in Alcoholics Anonymous. Mm. Um, and it's just a testimony of someone who was caught in, um, with uh, alcohol addiction. But he says this, everything changed with my first drink. All the fear, shyness, and unease evaporated with the first burning swallow of bourbon straight from the bottle during a liquor cabinet raid at a slumber party. Hmm. I got drunk, blacked out, threw up, had dry heaves, and was sick to death the very next day, and I knew I would do it again. Listen to this. For the first time, I felt part of a group without having to be perfect to get approval. So notice, I love this, what, what led to this person's acting out in mm-hmm. this way? all the fear, shyness, and unease. And the result, I didn't have to be perfect to get the approval I was longing for. 
So you hear deep down, right, in this person's experience, man, shame, fear, right? And they're looking to cover that up. And for them, they found it in alcohol. I'm so thankful you took us back to the garden because really that is the human experience. That is what we all share in common is that, um, is it really from, our, from, the, from the beginning of our story? And there's many different triggers, many different reasons why, but we, we're in this relationship with God where we know that we're not enough. We know that we're broken. We enter, engage in this work of hiding or of covering or pretending or faking, all of us reaching for other things outside of ourselves to either make us enough or, or numb the pain and the brokenness that we feel. And that is, that's the human experience. That's really the, the root of all of our struggles. And it, and it would make sense that it would be what you see consistently as the, the root of a lot of addictive behaviors. And so I think that's a good time to transition and really bring the gospel into the conversation, right? I mean, as a church, we have this deep conviction that the gospel of Jesus Christ is not just good news for our afterlife. There is the hope of heaven because of Jesus and what he's done for us. But we also believe that Jesus is not only a savior, but he is a redeemer through his life, his death, his resurrection, his pro- promised second coming, that there is grace and mercy that we can access right now and transformation for every part of our life. And so in light of the gospel, what would you say? How does, how does the good news of Jesus apply particularly to the struggle of addiction? Yeah. Um, again, I'll, I'll reference this, this guy's experience that we just read from. But I would say, in short, the, the gospel offers us three things. And you see this, this testimony, this description, this guy longing for it. And all of us are. Uh, but I think the gospel offers us an, a new identity, a new purpose, and a new community. Yep. Right? Yep. And that, that's what all of us need, but particularly, again, for those of us who might be struggling with addiction, you hear this, hey, I didn't have to be perfect to get approval. Mm. He, there's this longing for the, this, this need for a new identity, that shame doesn't define me, that I am a failure, I am ugly, right? I am not good enough. But what the gospel gives us is that new and better identity. Uh, and, and so... That is what we most need, yeah. uh, and that is what the addict most needs to be reminded of or to be given if they are not yet in yeah, Christ. Forgiven, free, loved, identity. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So new identity, but then new uh, a new purpose, right? And so you, again, you see it, kind of hear it. All the fear, the shyness, and unease evaporated. Um, addicts don't necessarily enjoy, right? There's this idea of ambivalence. They don't necessarily enjoy. That the fact that they're getting sick or the fact that this is bringing consequences, but what they enjoy is this need to escape reality hmm. because reality has become too painful to, be, to deal with. Uh, and so they're looking for something that will take them, that will transcend their present experience. Hmm. So they're looking for kind of this new purpose, a better purpose in life, uh, rather than facing the one that's become overwhelming here and now. So again, the gospel gives us that new purpose. Yeah. John 10.10, 10, I have come to give you life and life to the full, Yeah. right? Uh, Ephesians 2.10, you've been saved by grace. And then he goes on to say, so that you might uh, have walk in these works that I prepared in advance for you. Yeah. So this new purpose. Mm-hmm. And then lastly, I think again, what you see, this guy, he's longing for connection, right? He's, what does he say? He says, I felt part of a group as I engaged in this. Mm. And man, the gospel is this, this adoption into a new forever home, a new forever family, a beautiful family, 
right? First um, Peter 2, 9. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, uh, right? A, a people that has been called out of darkness into light. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that is what I think the, the beauty of the gospel offers us, again, that every human being is longing for, this new identity, a new purpose, and a new community. Yeah, so that's an interesting way to think about addiction through almost, you know, if we're, if we're reaching for something outside of ourselves to either numb or fix a broken identity, to either escape because we're purposeless or to give us some transcendent experience. And then connection. I remember you and I were, were grabbing lunch last week and you talked about a lot of people even stay in addiction because in a, in a, in a way there's, there's some connection there even around a substance or a, a habit or a pattern. With, there's almost even can be a community <laughs> uh, even there. And people get even stuck in addiction because they're like, well, at least I have my people. That's right. Yeah. yeah. yeah I mean, just yeah. quickly, that was my personal story. Mm. Before coming to Christ, I, didn't, I felt like I couldn't fit in. Mm. Um, there was a lot of shame in my story, um, and still is that the, the Lord is redeeming. Uh, but the thing that most captivated me was to be around this group of people uh, who just didn't give a rip about anything, and you, they would accept you into that community if you also were one who felt rejected, who didn't care about life. And so I found a sense of connection that I didn't find in any other community. Okay, I want to I dig in there because I think this is important. So if the, the gospel in many ways is, the gospel is the antidote to our shame. Uh, Jesus despised our shame on the cross. Uh, we are beloved in Christ Jesus. It's a free gift. We do, do nothing to, to earn it. We receive the gift of, of God's great love and mercy, his redemption, his forgiveness through Jesus Christ. It's a gift of grace. Uh, we receive it. We have to do nothing to earn it. Um, and, um, and one of the reasons I wanted to do this series was because not just for those that might be dealing with depression or dealing with anxiety or, or dealing with addiction, but so that we as a church would be able to, to be a church that is a place where we can hold out the good news of the gospel to those who are suffering, where, suffer, where we could say, Jesus is not just a savior for sinners, but he is a sympathetic savior for sufferers. And so what do we as a church need to know? What exhortations might you have for us as a church if we want to be a place, a safe place, a place of belonging for people who have had enough of the shackles of addiction and want to come into the mercy and grace of Jesus Christ and belong in the church? What exhortations do you have for us? Yeah, well, first, Jordan, man, I would just say thank you for doing a series like this. The fact that you um, are shepherding your people enough to, to know uh, and consider that this is a reality that all of us deal with at some level mm-hmm. and the things you've been talking about in this series. So first, the fact that you're having this conversation. Um, I mean, I love, again, going back to the garden just quickly to hit on this. Yeah. The very first thing that God says to us after the fall is not a, it's not a, a, a hey, how dare you? Yeah. It's a question, which is, where are you? Locate you relationally. Where are you? I'm here to find you. Yeah, I I Mm. see you, and I want you to be known. Uh, I want to know you, right? It's an invitational question. So to have a community where uh, people, you can just begin talking about this, being honest. And so maybe a litmus test to ask yourselves is um, in your communities, the people you you run with here, um, is to can I be honest with this group of people? To what degree can I be honest with this community? Um, 
and I love that you guys in your liturgy do confession, but even maybe more so within with one another, mm. right? The, the one another's of scripture, confess to one another. Um, and I'm not talking about kind of the usual suspects of, yeah, I lusted, uh, right? And the dudes that usually is kind of the go-to of, yeah, that's my thing, I can confess. Which, by the way, you and I both know this because of the nature of the work we do. It's generally always three or four times worse than what someone will tell you the first time, right? <laughs> yes. Yeah. So when someone says that uh, I lusted or uh, I got angry with my kids, yeah. <laughs> like it's generally probably deeper than that. Yeah. And then yeah. so to start the, uh, deeper, mm-hmm. right? To so start more of like uh, where we kind of, we didn't, I didn't sign up to, to get addicted, right? But go back to what was kind of the shame or the thing that I was dealing with internally that might have led to that. So are you confessing those things to one another, right? So even like last night, I was at a UT Longhorn game and hanging out with some dudes who absolutely love college football, and the whole four hours in the night, they were talking about college football, to which I didn't have a minimal amount of knowledge. <laughs> and I felt incredibly embarrassed, right? Because here's these dudes that I like wanted to connect with, and like I just felt really small. I don't know what you guys are talking about. But to be able to share that with my, my brothers and be like, hey, guys, like, I, I felt kind of like shame that I didn't know as much as you knew. And then that led to me not being able to connect with you. Hmm. So are, are those the kind of conversations you're able to have in community with one another? Hmm. Not just, again, the usual suspects. Hmm. Hmm. That might be the first thing uh, I would say. Um, I'll say this just, too, to parents. It seem, seems like you know, there's a lot of families here. Um, there is a direct correlation to your ability, to your emotional IQ, um, and you're, you're uh, at risk for getting into addiction. So for parents, mm. I'd say one of the best things you can disciple your kids in is to be able to have language around emotions, right? Uh, emotions are God-given. It's part of being in, created in God's image. And so if we don't have an ability kind of... A, a high emotional IQ to talk about, to name emotions, and then to kind of consider what might be contributing to those emotions, um, that's going to lead you again to a place of, oh, I don't, something doesn't feel right, and I want to cover that up. So as parents, we have an incredible opportunity to disciple our kids just simply around the dinner table of, hey, what'd you, what was the hardest part of your day? What was the most fun today? Um, Maybe even using the little faces, the emojis, right? That's a great little tool to help your kids kind of, again, put language yeah. to emotion. So. Yeah, that's good. That's good. So uh, being a community that's honest uh, where feelings and negative emotion aren't stuffed or ignored but can be uh, felt and acknowledged and brought to Jesus. Um, uh, and I think even, even to some extent being, a, being a, uh, a church that's unapologetically about the grace of the gospel. Yeah, it's really, really good. Okay, let's, let's end with this. Uh, if there's someone that's here today and, um, and maybe they're even sensing or feeling, you know what, I, I've got a check in my spirit. Maybe there's some things, some patterns, some, some deep ruts in my life that I just kind of stay stuck in. What would you say is the next step? Yeah, if that's you today, first, I would, I would most want you to, to know and to hear and to feel, again, that there's a God in heaven who is saying, I see you. I see you, and I want a relationship with you. And so he's inviting. He's inviting you, where are you right now, to be honest, 
Yeah, and so that would then be the second thing, uh, is to, to be ru- brutally honest with yourself and then to widen the circle of care around you, okay? So maybe being brutally honest is to kind of again go back and look at where am I on this spectrum of addictive behavior? Uh, what, to what degree might I be in that spectrum? Is it foolishness? Am I kind of more in that bucket? Is, is it kind of more bondage? Or is, I mean, am I in a place of, of death, right? So be honest with yourself there. Yeah. And then widen the circle of care, right? And invite others in. Invite them to speak into that. So maybe some, one of the most loving things some of you in here need to do is to confront a brother or sister. Wow. Right? To say, hey, here's what I'm observing in you. And I, and I love you. And I know you want to flourish in life. But the things I'm observing are this. And it's hindering your ability to flourish. Um, and so that would be maybe something you need to do. The, for, for others, it's to have the humility enough to actually be disciplined. Um, the Proverbs tell us, right, that discipline is a marker of the wise, to listen to that and receive it. Uh, and so, again, widen the circle of care, uh, invite others in, invite Jordan elders into this. Uh, maybe it's go to a, some, uh, a counselor, uh, go to a doctor to have you help, uh, help identify where you might be. Mm, so those would be some things. Yeah. Yeah, it's good. God is a gracious God, and his, his kindness always invites us to come into the light, come into the light that we might be healed, forgiven, made whole in Jesus. And so, Brad, thank you for your time today. Brad will be in the lobby afterward. He has some information even about what they're doing at the Austin Stone through their recovery ministry, and love for you to connect with him. Um, I want to pray for us and pray for you, and then we'll enter into a time of response. So thank you, brother. Yeah, let's pray. God, we thank you for the opportunity to have this conversation this morning in the local church. We thank you for the freedom that is available to each and every one of us through the person and work of Jesus Christ. God, that you, you love sinners so much that you gave your own life for us. You are near to the brokenhearted. You are drawn to our brokenness. And so I pray that we would drink deep of the grace of the gospel this morning. I pray that we would come out of hiding, and that we would hand over our fig leaves, that we would walk in the fullness and the freedom that is available through repentance and faith. And so as we enter into a time of response, Holy Spirit, we invite you to be in our worship. As we come to the table, would you nourish us through the bread and the juice? Would you strengthen us in our innermost being? God, we thank you for Brad. We honor him. We thank you for the ministry that he's doing, and we pray your blessings over him and over his ministry at the Austin Stone. Would it bear much fruit for your glory? In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. If you are looking for info, find our website at RedeemerRR.org or download the Redeemer Round Rock app from the Android or iOS app store.